And for Pet Chat today, I'm joined by David Tabret, Dr. David Tabret, and what are we talking about? Hi, Jane. Uh, good to see you again. Today, last week, I started off talking about immune-mediated diseases, so we're going to uh, dive into that over the next couple of weeks, and today we're going to talk about some blood diseases. We've seen a couple of these patients through the uh, emergency centre over the years, so I thought we'd talk a little bit about that. On to a new RFM, the home of your easy listening favourites. You're listening to Pet Chat and David, because it's a chat show, oh, yes. we have a caller. Excellent. Tony from Fern Bay has rung in with a question for you. Hi Tony, how are you going? Good, thanks David. Now what can we do for you? I've just acquired a toy poodle. Yes. And um, we've had it for six weeks yep. and we've, when we started feeding we bought dog food which it uh, didn't eat, wouldn't eat, so we changed the brand and it started eating this brand. Yeah. I mentioned the brand. And uh, also it's got some, that chicken roll, you know, pet chicken roll from the delicatessen. Uh-huh. And it was eating well until a couple of days ago and it won't eat a thing now. It won't eat the uh, the tin stuff, it won't eat the chicken. Okay. And uh, I'm just wondering why. So how old is this little one? Well, uh, 16 months. 16 months, okay, no worries. So we're pretty much on the adolescent heading to adulthood stage now and uh, we do have different phases of uh, feeding and probably a good quality dry food like you're doing is is a great way to go. Feeding uh, once or twice a day is uh, recommended and so putting the food down for you know 15 to 20 minutes picking it up so it's not there all the time. Um, Don't leave it there. No, probably best not to. Uh, there's a couple of things can happen. One is they can actually overeat, and yeah. so they're getting too many calories because it's more like grazing during the day, whereas dogs' metabolism is set up to really just eat a big meal and then relax, okay? Um, and the other thing is from a behavioral point of view, if they think that food's there all the time, then pretty much they're entitled to it, and you better well have it there for them every other day for the rest of their life. So, All right. Whereas if uh, if you're actually feeding, what happens is you walk over and you say, now sit, they get the food for sitting, and it maintains that relationship for you. Oh, okay. Okay, now as far as uh, the current thing, certainly some dogs, and we do see with little dogs that uh, they can be a little bit fickle with their flavours and so on, uh, probably less so than... Cats tend to be much more fickle, but um, little dogs certainly uh, can sometimes behave like that. But usually once they get hungry, they'll eat. So I would just make sure that there's nothing else going on that you think might be causing her to go off of food. At that age, might be a tooth in the back of the mouth, not up the front of the mouth, but in the back, one of the molars could be coming through. But most of them should be through by now. So yeah. as long as there's nothing else... It's enough, you know, it plays around yep. and that... Doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it. Just won't eat. Oh uh, well, I would I would try picking up the food and saying, okay, we're going to feed you for fifteen minutes, morning and night. That's it. Oh, okay then. Because you you might find by the time dinner time comes around that she's like, yes, please, I'd like my food now, right. Ra- rather yeah. than having it there and grazing all day. So tummy rumbling. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like with kids, you know. You say, look, don't eat that before in afternoon because you're going to not have an appetite for your dinner, dogs are the same. Oh, okay, right, thank Try you very much. Time. All right, good, well, good luck. Okay, thank you. You're listening to Pet Chat on 2NURFM, and uh, David, your special topic, we're talking about blood diseases. Yes, well, in particular, we're talking about immune-mediated diseases because these are quite uh, frustrating, I guess, for people, is you know what happens when the immune system starts to attack yourself 
And so last week we introduced this topic. Today we've seen a couple of dogs that uh, have got these diseases, hemolytic anemia or immune-mediated hemolytic anemia, and the other one is immune-mediated thrombocytopenia. Now, the hemolytic anemia one, the clue is in the name. So anemia means a lack of red blood cells. Hemolytic, lysis means to break things down, so it's broken down red blood cells causing a lack of them. And the mechanism by which the red cells get broken down is through the immune system. It can be various things that trigger it. We never often, uh, about 50% of the time we won't find the cause, but it could be uh, a lot of dogs may have a neoplasia or cancer in the body somewhere. And as the blood cells travel through the blood vessels in the cancer, they pick up proteins that the body thinks are foreign. And so the uh, the immune system targets the red blood cells for destruction. This can cause very severe illness. The survival uh, from this condition can be, you know, about 50% could die from it. It can be quite severe. And in many cases, they require blood transfusions and often long-term medication. So the diagnosis can be a little bit tricky to start with, but most of the time we'll, we'll discover what the cause is pretty quickly. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, it's not one of the cancers and things like that. But even with, uh, regardless of the cause, we're going to have them on medication for a long time. And the medications, the primary one that we use is, uh, is uh, cortisone, prednisolone, and there are a few other medications as well. had a dog in recently who um, we actually had to give a number of blood transfusions to because the body's just destroying the red blood cells. So dogs that uh, will appear pale in the gums, they won't exercise as much. They'll be quite tired with what seems simple things. Uh, and, you know, when you see those signs, um, they're sleeping and so on, it's worth to get them checked out. So that's one. The other one is the thrombocytopenia, and this is where there's a lack of platelets, which are the clotting cells in the blood. Same mechanism, uh, but in this case, what happens is the dogs start bleeding uh, in various places in the body. So yeah, platelets are a bit harder to treat. Luckily, we don't see the disease as much. But again, the treatment's very much the same. Blood transfusions are less effective for these guys because they're missing platelets, not red blood cells. And platelets don't survive transfer as well as what red cells do. So it's something to keep an eye out on. One little area of controversy with this is that uh, there was thoughts that there's links to vaccination. You know, if your animal's vaccinated, that that can trigger it. That's probably a small number of dogs that probably have some link there. Anything can cause... Uh, the onset of these diseases. Any way that a foreign protein gets into the body uh, could result in this immune-mediated disease. And very often, as I said, we won't find a cause. So uh, I guess, you know, from our listeners' point of view, it's just going to be if your dog is middle-aged, female, de-sexed, um, they're the, the type of dogs that always get this, and probably um, sm- small, big, large, any size dog, but middle-aged, female, de-sexed dogs are more prone to these. And uh, if your dog's lethargic and you look at their gums and they look a bit pale, you might be that might be the reason why we're seeing this problem. So get it checked out if you notice any problems like that. So this second one is like haemophilia, and the royal family in England has, has been known to have incidents of haemophilia. Do you think the royal corgis might uh, the be royal, tending to the royal suffer corgis. from this? <laughs> well, haemophilia, we do see in animals, actually, and I've seen a couple of cases. Haemophilia, the clotting system quite complicated there's cells and there's proteins haemophilia is a problem with one of the proteins ah uh-huh. what we're talking about is the cells 
So there's a number of ways that you can get clotting defects, and of course rat bait, we know that causes problem with the proteins. Haemophilia is a problem with the proteins. But you can get immune-mediated destruction of your platelets, which are the clotting cells in the blood. Um, hopefully the corgis don't have it because uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty dangerous when they do. Nice. Yeah. And right now you're listening to Pet Chat on 2NURFM, 26 past 12. Your calls are welcome. 49216216 will get you through to us. And Elizabeth joins us from Katara. Hello, David. How are you? Good. What can we do for you? Um, very faint hearing you, but anyway, um, I've got a pet cockatiel. Yes. It was given to us a couple of years ago. She was, I'd lost my bird and, um, this, this poor cockatiel was on the road in Mayfield being traumatised by birds picking at her. Oh, yep. And, um, anyway, she's a timid bird, but, um, we love her. <laughs> and she's just, she's, um, Developed a dark mole on the side of her beak, and also she doesn't seem to be. Um, what have I got? It doesn't seem to be worrying her. Yes. Don't, um, and the other thing was that the beak grows so quickly. It didn't. It didn't go quickly before, but the last few months we have to trim it about every month because it goes down near her chest, and I'm frightened she'll pierce her chest. Oh my goodness! Oh dear! Uh, the um uh, now, the mould, you mean, when you say a mould, or it's actually a discoloration it's, in the it's beak? a little black bump, nearly a, black. A black bump? Brown, brown or black. Okay. And it, about the side of, a, up, up the top of a beak. Yeah. It could be that there's an area there that's been traumatised that uh, is um, now infected. Mm. Uh, I would be concerned about fungal infections or constant mm. trauma to that area. Mm. Uh, if there's an alter trauma to that area, it could result in changes in the beak itself because it's like a fingernail. Mm -hmm. So if you damage your fingernail right at the base, it'll cause it, it'll grow out through the beak, and yeah. so you'll see the colour change and you might see some change in the shape. Yeah, doesn't, she doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be worrying a bit. I don't like the look of it. Yes, no, I, I would certainly think that needs to be checked out because yeah. if there's an infection in there, it could be actually ulcerating under the beak and all sorts mm. of things. Mm -hmm. The other the other thing about the overgrown beak is interesting. Now, there is something in the back of my mind that's reminding me about uh, why we see that, but the biggest problem would be is things for her to chew on. Yeah, she seems to eat okay on her bird seed, but she won't eat, she won't eat any greens. I give her any dandelions or anything else, you know. Okay, well, a quick trip, uh, tip for you there mm. is take the seed out. So just as we were talking with Tony, you want to feed them twice a day. And over time, it's probably a little bit harder with an older bird, mm. transfer them onto a, a better diet because seed diets are um, low in uh, um, iodine, vitamin A, and cause lots of troubles yeah. overall, too much fats. Um, but it is difficult because of the age of the bird and the fact that you've been doing this for a while. But the thing I would be looking at is something to chew on, like bark or uh, some branches in yeah, there. Yeah, the perches made of that. Yep. Even some bigger ones. And have you got a cuttlefish or something in there? I, I can put one now. I have tried before and she wasn't interested in it. I'll try again. I would put it in because I think if you're getting an overgrown beak, mm. that might help. But yeah. very often we'll see an overgrown beak when they've got... Uh, um, like a malalignment of the jaw, and so yeah. that could also be an issue. Uh, I think there's enough there to say it's probably time for a checkup at a vet who's experienced yeah. in bird medicine. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. because you, ne- you need a few things to be checked out. Yeah, and wait, wait, how do I find out a good bird? I'm going to a vet. I went to a vet with my cat, but um, would that be all right? Well, most most vets will have experience, and obviously we get trained in bird medicine as well. Mm-hmm. But in the balance of you know training over the five or six years at university, it's only a small amount of uh, time. Um, usually, if you speak with your vet, they'll be able to advise you if they can look after you with the birds or they will refer you to someone who's uh, close who can help you with birds. Uh, and there's a couple of clinics around uh, Newcastle, yeah. at least, that uh, yeah. do see birds on a regular basis. Yeah. RSPCA wouldn't be any good bird. Well, if you give them a call, they'll certainly be able to f- give you some advice on who to contact if they can't help you out themselves. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for That's your call, right. Elizabeth. And Laureen joins us from Metford now. Hi, Laureen. Hi. Um, look, I have two goldfish. Yes. And one of them is now like an inverted V. Inverted V? Like yeah. swimming on his back? Yeah, well... His head's down all the time, and the it goes up to the tail, and it goes down. Okay, so he's sort of like what? vertical in the water? Um, his head and tail are at the same level. Right. Oh, I see. Okay, so he's curved, like yes. his back. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, because I was thinking that anything we see, a change of position of the bird, uh, bird, I'm still thinking about Elizabeth Cockatiel, any change of position of the goldfish is usually related to a swim bladder problem, but it sounds like it's not that. It's more the the um, curvature of the fish's spine and muscles that's yeah. causing this problem. Okay, um, that's a, certainly a strange one. I haven't seen anything like that before. But just working from first principles, I would be concerned about um, either muscle contraction and scarring. So if, have you had any problems with skin or deep ulcers in the fish before? No. No? no. Okay. So the other thing, and has he always been like this or is it just recently developed? No, it's just over the last couple of weeks. Okay. He's still eating, but, um, and his mate, the other goldfish, will swim in between the, his body and his tail and sort of hold him up when they're asleep oh my goodness well it's good to see they're working together um i'm just wondering is there a way you can take a photo or a little video of him and send it to me yeah yeah i'm just wondering i think that might be helpful because having a little bit of trouble trying to work out exactly what's going on i would be worried about uh dietary problems causing uh bone curvature and we do see um uh, problems in other species associated with, um, for instance, uh, we were just mentioning about birds and their diets and vitamin A, but it, you can get high vitamin A diets in cats can cause um, f- uh, fusing of the spine. And I'm wondering if there's things like that that we see in goldfish. So it might be useful if you can send us a picture of that. All right, then, yes. Um, so probably if you could uh, email a picture yep. or a video to me. And if you can send it to reception at, I'll get you to send it to my work. So reception at N-A-E-C. N. N for Newcastle, A for animal, E for emergency, C for centre. Right. Dot net dot au. Dot net au. And if if you get that to me, my um, 
receptionist will make sure I have a look at it and then I can respond to you. And then we can give everybody an update next week too on what we've discovered. Okay, then. All right. Thanks, Laureen, for your call. And hope Thank that'll you. help come up with a good outcome. Wow, that's a strange one. Yeah. yeah. How nice to find something oh, that you're stumped with briefly. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot. <laughs> you're listening to Pet Chat. It's 25 to 1, and we're taking your calls, 49216216. And David Tabret, Grant, has rung in from Redhead. Hi, Grant. How are you going? Yeah. Uh, good. Yeah, I just got a, got a quick one for you, mate. Yep. Um, me and the Mrs. Arise arguing one. We've got this dog, like it's, it's a cross between a, uh, a Shih Tzu and a Poodle, yep. and the hair comes down over its eyes, you know, like a St. Bernard, you know, Bernard sort of look, you know. Yep. Um, should you cut the hair or should you just leave it? I don't, I don't want to get into the middle of your argument about this. Look, <laughs> it's... because I'm going home soon, I'm going to tell them. <laughs> what do you reckon? <laughs> well, I noticed that you haven't told me which side you're leaning on, so um, <laughs> my... I, it depends on every single dog because, look, yeah. I have seen times when people have trimmed the hair and the concern is as it grows back, it's going to be dangerous and scratch the eyes. Yeah. yeah. And then other people say, no, leave the hair long, you know, because it's softer and and it, it's going to uh, uh, not cause problems, but then it's always constantly in their face. Um, yeah. It's a difficult one. It's That's one of the things one. I think you have to go completely one way or the other. If if you okay. if you decide not to trim the eyes, then you have yeah. to be able to. It just depends. If the if the hair is always constantly in the eyes, I would trim it. And I yeah. see a lot of people get it done, and they they give them yeah. like little eyebrows. Yeah, okay. you know, so it's kept up high, uh, okay. and that's probably safe. But it is something you have to keep on top of. Okay, mate. It's just someone told me about those. You know, those dogs that go on the snow. Is it the Saint Bernards? The um, go on the snow. They, they said you should never trim their. Uh, because I might get, oh, but then again, I suppose I get snowblindness and that sort of stuff, and I was just wondering if it related to, to the other little dogs. But, um, yeah, no, I don't. Or, not really, no. No, I haven't heard that before, but then. Oh, okay. I think your, your little guys. Yeah, if you're going to trim them, it just yeah. means you have to be, like, doing yeah. it sort of once a week. Oh, that okay, mate. Right, yeah. Well, I'll let her know. Thanks a lot for your time, mate. No worries. Good luck, Grant. You're listening to Pet Chat on 2NURFM, and 49216216 is the number to ring. Elizabeth joins us from Hamilton now. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, David. Thanks for the call. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about fading puppy syndrome and how it's passed on. Uh, Okay. For all of our listeners who don't know, fading puppy syndrome occurs when we have um, puppies shortly after birth probably in the first week is about the limits of it really sometimes up to two weeks where the puppies just start to enter this downhill spiral where they're not suckling properly and uh, they get cold and so they have less energy and therefore they don't suckle and they get cold and they have less energy and eventually they die from the effects of that Um, the difficulty is that if you think about, oh, well, I'll just warm them up, uh, that should stop the cycle. It does and it doesn't. It really depends on when you get in and treat them. And I think the key to this is that you've said straight away is it's a syndrome. It's not a disease. It's a syndrome where the metabolism of the puppy can't keep up with the demands of what they need. Now, it's a fairly complicated thing 
probably too much to go into here, but just quickly, it can be triggered by things like um, a virus that they've picked up uh, at birth, and the common one that we see is uh, canine herpes virus that can cause uh, problems where they're, they're on the back foot the moment they're born. Uh, but we also see if they get cold or they get pushed away from the mother or they're naturally the runt of the litter, they might get excluded. And if you think about with uh, very large litters, the, the mother may actually decide, I'm only going to feed eight puppies, not ten, and push two aside because I just can't look after that many. Or I've seen litters of 14 and one or two will get dropped out. So we get this vicious cycle now. Puppies, have, they're not neurologically mature. So in other words, their brain and the part of their brain that controls temperature, which is a part of the hypothalamus, we sort of label it the thermostat, uh, means that they don't actually control their own temperature very well. So they don't shiver when they get cold. And so they can shiver, but usually it's much later. And the thing about shivering as a way to warm up is that it consumes a lot of oxygen, it consumes a lot of energy. The other thing is puppies are born with what's called brown fat, uh, and whereas as they get older they have white fat. Now brown fat, it's not just the colour of it, it actually contains uh, a higher energy in it. So if the puppy has plenty of brown fat, as their body starts to burn that up, it generates heat, whereas... Um, it generates the energy, generates muscle activity and heat. Whereas if they're depleted of brown fat, so they're a runt puppy or something like that, they lack that. So they lack the insulation effect, but they also lack the energy reserves. Um, so it could occur for a whole lot of reasons, could trigger it, mm -hmm. viruses being cold, excluded, and so on, not feeding. So if you get in really early on day one or two, and the best way I've advised people to monitor this is to actually track their puppy's birth weight and then check their weight every day at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Does the mother carry the virus, though? Uh, well, when we say fading puppy, because it's a syndrome, it could be any number mm. of things. If there's a viral mm. cause, mm. Uh, then, yes, it would be coming from the mother, canine herpes virus. But that's we don't have a vaccine against that. So then can that be transferred to other dogs? To Well, it would be transferred to the puppies. Uh, could yeah. it go further than that? I don't think we yeah. see... We don't see disease associated with that except in puppies. So the difficulty right. is she could be a carrier but, mm. but not actually showing signs of disease. Uh, right. And it, it's not going to necessarily cause disease in older dogs, mm. but it might okay. be transferred. Okay. okay, I've just accepted a dog that had a litter that all died yep. and uh, the vet diagnosed the fading puppy syndrome yep. and I've now taken the mother because the breeder doesn't want to keep the virus on her property but I'm worried that that will then affect my adult dog as well. Uh, no, it shouldn't. No? No, no it should be. Okay. So I presume she's desexed? Not yet, but uh, my dog is. No, but this other one that you've the, taken. The mother, not yet, but she will be yes. um, very shortly. Yes, yeah, yeah. she should be desexed. Uh, but no, it shouldn't cause any problems with your dog. Okay, all right, thank you very much for that. And you're listening to Pet Chat right at the moment with David Tabret taking your calls, 49216216. Sandy is in from Talara. Hi, Sandy. Hi. Um, recently we bought two ducks and one of them, the male, he yep. is a bit of a rogue, and he attacks everything in sight, and I'm just wondering if there's a way that we can stop him doing that. Mm. 
when you say attacks, what sort of things is he attacking? The dog, the cat, me. <laughs> right. He attacks everything. I'm thinking he's uh, being very territorial. And uh, so probably your only solution maybe is to have an area that he has access to that's exclusively his. Right. And then he has to observe other animals like the dog and, and yourself, not put you in the animal kingdom there, sorry. Right. That's what us uh, vets do. Um, so I would be thinking you need to have a space where you can keep him partitioned off for a while and he can observe other people in that space. Well, we've tried that. Yes. Like he's in a cage down the back and he's in quite a big cage. Yeah. Um, and we've left him in for a couple of days to see how he would go. But it doesn't change anything when you let him out. He's still coming after you. Yep. Ooh. And if it's not me, as I said, it's the dog or the cat or the chooks that we've got. He just attacks everything. Yeah. And he's quite vicious at it too. Like he pecks and he hangs on. He won't let go. Oh yeah, yeah. They can they can inflict a nasty little nip on you as well. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm more concerned about the dog eating him because <laughs> he's roughed him up a few times. Well, fair enough. Um, I don't have anything that springs to mind except keeping him separate. I guess at least to avoid the issue. Uh, but obviously, we might be able to try and track down a solution for you. So let's. Um, I'll uh, chase up some answers, see if we can get some ideas for you, and. Um, get your follow-up for next week. Would that be okay? Yeah, that'd be great. All right, so he's attacking yourself and the dog. Ah, uh, Sandy, thanks for that call. It's always good to have something to give David I need to some do. homework. You do indeed. Yeah, I need some homework. <laughs> now, Peggy has run in, rung in from Katara South. Hi, Peggy. Oh, good afternoon, David. Hi, good. Um, I've got an Australian terrier. Yep. He's now three years old. I try to take him for a walk, not every day, but uh, lately I've noticed that when I take him out for a walk, and we, if he sees another dog even at a distance, he stands on his hind legs and he goes berserk. And if it's close, well, the other dog, maybe something like a Labrador, yes. um, returns the same treatment. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it's hard to control him on the leash. So does he ha mix with any other dogs at any other time? No, no. no. Yeah. I have no other uh, animals. I've got a cat, but the cat puts him in his place. Yes, yeah, so cats and dogs, totally different. So that's right. Um, so he's just being really exuberant and happy to see these other dogs, or do you think he's well, more he, aggressive? He was like that at first. Yes. But now he's become very, you know... Um, showing his teeth and snarling and it's a it's a difficult scenario because uh, dogs are social creatures they live in packs and you know then they, they live with us and so they've got us as companions but we're pretty boring as far as dogs go most of the time mm. so when he gets out and he sees another dog he's he's probably very confused about what he's supposed to do and usually in this sort of situation it's really a matter of trying to get some more constant exposure to dogs in a social setting. Now, when I say social setting, what I mean is on a neutral ground. It's no good going over to a friend's house or someone else coming over with a dog because it's either it's at their place or it's at your place. And so either dog will start to think, no, that's mine. Don't you go near that. And there's more tendency towards aggression. When they go to a neutral place, 
there's no attachment to things in that environment. So really the dog's not going to think, uh, you know, don't go near that water bowl, don't go near that bed, don't go near that person. So it's uh, it's a lot easier for the dogs to get along. That can be a little bit hard to organise, but there I know a lot of people that get together on a regular basis with, um, you know, going to parks or obviously down to the beach and things like that where the dogs are able to roam around and get to know each other. And it's really a process of introducing another dog. So it might pay to speak with some friends where you can organise to meet at a park and have the dogs on lead, obviously, um, so that they can actually socialise. And I think once you start to do that on a regular basis, your dog would start to realise that, um, you know, there's another dog, that's okay. Though he'll probably still bark anyway, you know, because that's his method of communicating. So it's just how exuberant he gets. But uh, he's, it sounds like he's needing some doggy companion. And I'm, I don't want to suggest that you get another dog, although that might solve no, that problem. Yeah, but it usually introduces other problems. So, um, but for if you can organise to meet up with some people at a park, I think that would be a great way to get him more used to meeting other dogs. We used to go just round the corner into the na- another street, and about oh yes, the second house along, there was a nice creamy coloured. I don't know what it is. One of these uh, yes. special ones. Yep. And he was quite happy to see her and so on but even yesterday when I took him past and she came out she heard him she came out but she quickly went back inside again (laughs) because he was he was getting uh, too much on his back legs and and more or less almost frothing at the mouth yeah it's almost like he's saying look at me look at me I'm really excited I want to go play and I want to do all these sort of dog things and and the other dog's going, whoa, settle down, you know, I don't want to... Doggy gossip I'm, group is... I'm happy to, ch- happy to chat to you, but, do, you know, do you have to get so touchy-feely? So, so uh, I think socialising is very important. It's important for us, important for dogs. So give it a go. If you can get get someone organised to meet up at a park a couple of times a week, it'll be great for everybody. Thanks for your call, Peggy. And June joins us now on Pet Chat. Hello, June. Hello. Hi, June. What can we do for you? Uh, I've got a Labrador, and he's nine-year-old. And yes. the last few days, he's stepping very short, like as if he's got arthritis. Right. Is this been... legs, you know, and he's... Um, yep. I live on five acres, and he takes... You know, I take him for a walk every day. But uh, the last couple of days, he's been... Or particularly the last couple of days, he's been, you know, and he's crying, like as if he's in pain. Okay. Has he had problems with this before? Not in the front legs. This is in the front legs. He did have an operation years ago. He, he, they put a plate in his back leg. He put something out and, the, you oh know, dear. the muscle or the yep. sinew or something, and he had a plate put in. Yep. Uh, a vet at Hamilton done it for him. and. Um, so I, I, I think you probably... Right. Uh, they said, you know, sometimes they get arthritis there after the operation, but he was yes. only a young dog then, but... Um, it seems to be in the front legs now, but I don't know. <laughs> well, they are... Um, I know he's getting old, but, you know, I want to keep him as long as I can. I'm wondering if there's anything I could put in his food that would help it. Oh, there's a number of things I think we can look at. Certainly, I, I wouldn't say nine's old. I mean, it's middle age for a Labrador, well, so... Is it? I thought they, you know, only lived, lived below about ten or so. Oh, no. Or Twelve? No, no. Oh. No. 
I mean, there's for various reasons we can run into problems when they get older, but arthritis is a very common problem that we see. And usually with breeds like Labradors, they might be carrying a bit more extra weight. They're no, very... he's about 39 kilos. I bet Tommy was the right weight. Perfect you know, weight. He's a big dog. He is a big dog, yeah. Yeah. They're very energetic early in life as well, and so they often put a lot of pressure on their joints. And that's basically the premise of arthritis is that the joints are inflamed and degenerating. And so what we tend to approach, I mean, you can have things like he's had his back leg, he's had surgery, and he's at risk of uh, arthritis there, but just simple wear and tear on his front legs might cause a problem. Now, the clue here, or the key to treatment, is regular uh, uh, easy exercise. So sometimes swimming is good, but... um, just a simple walking without overdoing it. If he starts to run too much, particularly going down hills and things like that, could actually put too much strain on his front legs. As far as medication, there are a variety of things that can be used. And if you speak with your vet about that, they'll be able to sort you out. There is also, you asked about some dietary supplement, and there is actually some dietary supplements that are useful that help to rebuild the cartilage in his joints. So I think it's worthwhile a trip to the vet. It is winter coming up now colder weather and dogs get the same problems that we get as well so go and get those things checked out as well thanks june for your call and our last call it'll be leslie from tumby umby hi leslie hello there i'm sorry your name this uh, is david david hello david um i have a siamese cat yes. he's neutered he's eight years old he has a companion a tonkinese female who's also neutered. I got them as foster cats from the legacy situation in the RSPCA at Somersby with the uh, warning that he had been spraying up there with all of the other cats. That wasn't a problem for the first few. I've had him three years. He didn't do that here until about six months ago. Uh And it's, uh, it's becoming it seems worse. There are, naturally, because they're foster cats, they can't be free, so I've got them in enclosures where they've got a little bit of outdoor um, exercise, but not free. There are other cats, of course, in the neighbourhood that come down and disturb him. And having had a Siamese before, I'm aware of their, you know, hypey sort of temperament. Um, it seems, okay. he seems to be attracted mostly to plastic things like music folders and sometimes clothing. Um, so is this uh, on vertical surfaces or? Oh, yes, it's definitely spraying. Yeah, definitely spraying. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. So just for our listeners, we often define inappropriate urination can be due to medical causes if they're missing the litter tray for one or if they're just actually urinating frequently and that will tend to be horizontal i.e. like on a flat surface but if it's on a vertical surface like a wall or books or as you said clothing hanging up things like that then it's more like a behavioral therapy uh, problem and the key that you mentioned before is about the cats in the environment could be triggering this response there's a very well i wouldn't say a solution but there's a really good treatment that you can use and uh, it's called Felloway Spray, and it comes in a, du- a number of forms. It actually is very relaxing for cats, and in this sort of circumstance, it's ideal. You can get it as a pump spray or a diffuser that you plug into a PowerPoint, and it'll just calm the whole house down. Thank you. I hope that answers your call, Leslie, your question. Thank you, David Tabrett. We're getting to the end of Pet Chat. It's no worries. Uh, 
just flown by. Hello, and, and look, great to see everybody up at uh, the Million Paws Walk at Morpeth on the weekend. We had a great time there, and a lot of um, uh, old uh, patients came and saw us, and uh, we had a wonderful time to see everybody out supporting the RSPCA. Fantastic. Pet Chat back ne- next uh, Wednesday after the midday news on 2NURFM, and we'll